Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Golik and Smetty here. Hey, maybe I'm just a dumbass. I don't even understand how money works. Welcome to another edition of Golik and Smetty. I am Mike Golik Sr. She is Jessica Smetana. And we are, we're continuing to do this. And man, Jess, are, are, do we have so many things to talk about. All not good things to talk about, yeah. but certainly things to talk about, especially in the football world. We're going to talk a little WNBA with Lindsay D'Arcangelo, uh, a WNBA writer for The Athletic, about where we are. Uh, she wrote a great book out as well that we'll get into about where we are in the WNBA season. But Man, there's a lot of football going on right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get to the news of the week. There's lots of NFL news. But first off, Mike, I, I'm a little disappointed in you. I got to say. Yes, what? and you and your son, frankly. The hell did I do? You guys were part of this Notre Dame cinematic jersey <laughs> reveal in ah. Las Vegas with Marcus Freeman and Michael Mayer and Isaiah Foskey and you didn't even give me a heads up. Like it was all secret. Like you couldn't even tell your podcast partner you were part of this thing. And maybe, I don't know, tell me what the jerseys looked like. What the hell is going on? We were sworn to secrecy, though I will say um, I, I should have included you. I did send when they were shooting the scene of what the jersey was going to look like. It was the first time any of us saw the jersey. It was in actually the locker room at the Raiders Stadium in Vegas. And Michael Mayer and Isaiah Foskey had to put them on because they were going to shoot a, the final scene was with them in it. And I took a picture of Michael Mayer and I sent it to my family and I said, here you go. Here's what the jersey looks like. And you know what? You are family now to me and I apologize. Thank you. Uh, I mean, I, I thought I, so. but I, was, I wasn't thinking in the moment. I was making sure... And I know you wouldn't have leaked it, but I remember right. them saying that they they the last time they had the, the Shamrock series, it got leaked twice the uniform, and we were trying to do everything in the world not to leak it. But I I know you wouldn't have leaked it. I that wouldn't was, have leaked it. Cause I it know made you would You look bad, and by extension, me look bad. Yeah, so I would com- never do that to you. A complete oversight. And look, on, on my part, Mike, I didn't need a picture of the jersey. I didn't even really need a description of the jersey. I just wanted like, hey, by the way. I was in this really cool video. It's coming out on this date. I don't want you to be surprised, but like I was in this cool video and I would have been like, oh my God, I feel so cool for knowing about this before it happened. And instead it just slapped me in the face. I, yeah. I'm watching this thing and you and Mike are both in it acting your asses off, I should say. It was 
impressive work. Um, but but in all honesty, it was very cool. It, it is one of the coolest things Notre Dame has ever done uh, in general, not just, you know, with football and social media. Uh, so congrats, props to you guys. But what, what was that whole experience like for you Yeah, guys? well, first and foremost, you are correct. I did not treat my partner the way I should have. I should have let you in on all of that. And that will never happen again the next time I'm asked to do something secretive (laughs) and not say anything. But, yeah, we were asked um, basically because the Shamrock Series game is in Vegas, so to do something in Vegas. And then we went around the hangover, which is still odd, too, because for what was it for that was that came out in 2009. So Foskey and Mayer were kids, (laughs) you know, at at that point. Right. Um, But they. Fighting Irish Media, let me tell you, they they did it up. I mean, they asked Mike and I to kind of play the, the Chow uh, character together instead of one person Chow. They had us both do it while Foskey and Mayer and Freeman were basically, you know, the Bradley Cooper cr- crew. Mm-hmm. But we literally just went to the desert. We literally drove at 6 in the morning, a half hour outside of Vegas, took a right into the desert where they had the film crew was there ready to go. We only had about an hour and 15 minutes to do that scene with the two cars and the satchel and the, and the uniform right. and such before the jersey came up. And then we had a couple other scenes at one at the stadium and another on the rooftop somewhere. Um, but it was, it was a ball. They did such a great job. We thought the final scene when the reveal happened and they were walking out onto the field, well, it turns out that stadium does tours. Oh, and no. there were actually people in there doing tours when the guys were walking out of uniforms. And we were like, oh, shit, someone's going to snap a picture. But we kind of kept the, the guys secluded a little bit while the tour went through. When they went past, we did the scenes. Wow. Well, they're so worried about secrecy and leaking. I mean, yeah. come yeah. on, guys. Don't do it on a tour date. How, yeah, many, I know. <laughs> how many takes did, was, were you and Mike's lines? Well, how many takes did you guys have? To get as as you all know, when you shoot stuff like this, A, you do it out of order a lot of times, and B, mm-hmm. you do a lot of takes just to do different angles. But all I have to say is the first take that we did together, the first take, dipshit Mike, didn't know he had a line, and we sat there in silence. And I just looked at him and I said, "It's your line, motherfucker." I mean, what 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 are you doing? <laughs> and and I'm like, me and you are supposed to be the professionals here, you know. And and we're all waiting for your line. The very first take, Mike was waiting for some. He thought somebody oh else had God. a line, and we all just sat there in silence, like. Wait a minute, who's supposed to be talking right now? And it was Dipshit Junior who was supposed to be talking. I would love to see the blooper reel for this. I, I mean, it's you know what? I will send you that. There were some outtakes. Please do. Oh my god, and, I would love that. You can and, make up, make it up to me by sending me the outtakes. Please. Yes, I will send you some outtakes. We had fun. They show what was cool. What they did, you know, after the Hangover. I'm sure you've you seen the Hangover. I have seen the Hangover. So at the end, when they show the pictures right. and stuff, well, this was pretty cool. How they showed pictures of us kind of messing around on the field. That was the kind of. I thought they did a great job. I, I really do, and and I mean the video had almost three million views, and it was so there were two things that I took out out of that, Jess. Number one, it was actually cool to see people who were like, I normally hate Notre Dame, <laughs> but this was pretty cool, and then which was nice to read, and then the other was, oh, I didn't watch it because it was over thirty seconds. I'm like, 
What the? What, are we so microwaved in our society that if anything is 30 seconds to a minute or longer than that, people, do they just flat out won't watch it. It could be, this could have been the greatest cinematic three or four minutes in history. It was, it was, and, it literally and, was. And because it's over 30 seconds, people wouldn't even give it a chance. Oh, they were God. just like, oh, I'm not going to watch it. Somebody tell me about it. I'm like, are we this no. Are we this quick in society now? Those people are outliers because even TikTok oh. now has two minute long videos. So okay, all I, right. That, I'm not buying that. They just, you know, I don't know. Whatever. Those people, those are outliers, Mike. Don't worry about it. A lot of people watched your video. Marcus Freeman was all over ESPN the next day. He yeah, was he was. He had the car selling, wash next day. Yeah. Selling that yeah. Notre Dame smile everywhere he went. He looked like the pro. He looked like he had done it a million times. Well, which, I mean, I know he hasn't. And but. by the way, he's 36. He's good looking. I mean, my God, he, he's got everything. But as we know, all that's great, but you got to win. So now that starts. I will say, I mean, just the caliber, again, this is going to sound like a Notre Dame commercial. Well. But, but the caliber <laughs> of, of person that you get, Isaiah Foskey and Michael Mayer, just two really, really good guys. Foskey, in the, the break before they came back, went to get credits for a class he took in Italy. Him and like 10 other students went to Italy to take a class and get credit for, wow. get some credits for before he came back. But just very, very good guys. So you know what I'll start? I think they start uh, camp. Uh, coming up uh, at the taping of this a few days from now, I think uh, this coming Friday. And and then, then the test really begins. And you're only open with Ohio State, a team mm. everybody predicts to be in the playoffs. So. No biggie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, no biggie at all. <laughs> you mentioned the Raiders. You were in, in Raiders territory. The Raiders are playing in the Hall of Fame game this right. week against the Jaguars. Football is back. There was a lot of NFL news this week, Mike. <laughs> we should start from the top, which is that the – uh, suspension on Deshaun Watson was finally announced on Monday and and the independent arbitrator Sue Robinson who is the judge who was deciding the suspension she came out with a 15-page report uh, about her ruling and what she found and she decided to uh, suggest a suspension of six games I guess and so now there's going to be an appeal period where the NFL might appeal the decision. Uh, the NFLPA has already indicated they won't appeal the decision. Right. So what do you make of all of this? Oh. Again, this is, again, like the first time this specific process has ever been used right. in the part, part of the new CBA. So it's kind of like the first time we've ever had to debate uh, something of this nature, because normally Goodell just does it himself. So right. what do you make of all of this? I mean, Jess, there are so many tentacles of, of this. The last one being football. The first one, this involved a lot of human beings, you know, and, and a lot of women. Um, so, and a, and a woman, Sue, uh, uh, Robinson, who was deciding this, at least for now, we'll see if, as you mentioned, the NFL appeals. And as you mentioned in the over two decades of me doing shows, Jess, one of the things that has always come up is the fact that the commissioner of the NFL has too much power, that they can be the judge and the jury all in one. And that has to stop. So in the last CBA, they tried to put somewhat of a stop to it by saying, it has to be an independent person, in this case, Sue Robinson, who, who looks at the case and comes up down with a discipline or no discipline, and it's some of the NFLPA and the NFL agreed with, agree on. So this is the first time that, that went on. The league, if people should know, they suggested to her an entire year suspension. Obviously, the NFLPA doesn't want to see their guys suspended. They didn't say a word on this. And, and Sue Robinson came down with six games, to which 
there were, and now everybody is destroying that decision and wants the NFL to appeal, which in turn would go back to Roger Goodell, something everybody had been complaining about for years. You can go to Roger Goodell or his designee as far as what the appeal. So if the NFL appeals, it could actually go back to Roger's desk and then he can say, you're out for a year, to which we know Deshaun Watson's crew is going to sue and we'll go from there. But I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So Jess, I mean, I, I guess the biggest thing for everybody was where did she come up with six games? And you'd have to go through and read that report to understand basically how she did it, looking at other cases, because she based things off of what the NFL has done and what the NFL and the CBA rules are of sexual assault to violence against women. And that was the big term in this nonviolent sexual assault, which seems like an oxymoron in, in, in my eyes. But I'm not a former judge like she is. So she had her reasons for doing this, which I, I, I thought we had talked about this. I thought he'd be done for the year. I thought six, but the Browns thought it was going to be about six or eight games. So going strictly on the six games, I thought it would be longer. I'm, and she seems to be basing you, you tell me, because everybody who reads this is kind of interpreting what they're reading that basically she is saying, hey, you NFL, you have defined what violent is. And I am saying because of that, this is nonviolent. And nonviolent usually has brought less than six games, but I'm going to go six games. So that's kind of what some people are taking out of this while they were expecting more. But that's that's the term that stuck with me, Jess, was nonviolent and sexual assault and, and and by the way, the NFL won its case. The NFL, by her suspending him and saying he was egregious in his acts and he was wrong for what he did and he can't use outside masseuses anymore and all the things he has to do, she sided with the NFL, save for the NFL wanted a year and she only did six games. Yeah. So like you said, there's kind of a lot to unpack yeah. with it. And and I want to reiterate like the importance of remembering who the victims are in all of this, which are all the women who have who have brought these um, allegations and civil suits up against Deshaun Watson. So there were over 25 women, I think, who who had civil suits. All but one has now settled with with Watson. And um, the judge, it sounded like heard from five from five of the cases, but only from four of the women. There was one right. woman who didn't want to participate with the NFL investigation. Um, so I, I want to make sure that we we're like talking about the fact that these are all individual women whose right. lives have been affected by this person, uh, according to these allegations. So that in itself is important to remember. I think the other thing is that uh, the way that this works is that the NFL does an investigation. And so they interviewed a subset of these people um, and then presented a, a case, I guess you could say, to the judge. And then she ruled based off of what you said, which is her understanding of sexual violence, which is, I, I want to reiterate, like it's her understanding of it. So right. she is the one giving the opinion that it is, there is violent assault and nonviolent assault. To me, like assault implies violence. Um, and then also that she's basing it off of what the NFL has done in the past. And so there's like a few things that stick out to me, which is that in one sense, like the NFL's own track record in these cases is working against these women. So if they're trying to 
act tough this time and say we want a year uh, because we're, we've gotten serious about this, the, their history on it is working against them. Yes. And so in also wanted to, to say that like their history in the way they've handled these cases and, oh. and maybe women don't want to talk to them and don't want to give their story and don't want to be part of an NFL investigation then works against these women as well. Like these are women who, you know, some of them have already had to go through depositions or, or legal proceedings. Like they've had to talk about these, you know, really painful experiences. Um, and so maybe they don't want to talk to the NFL. And, and, and Jenny Brentis, who's done really incredible reporting on all of this for the New York Times and for Sports Illustrated, has written about how a couple of the women who were participants in the NFL investigation thought that the way the NFL was asking questions to them was was kind of you know blaming them for the behavior right and what so, are you wearing and things right. like that yeah. it, it seems like it's a no-brainer that if you're confronted with this decision of should i come forward and participate in this nfl investigation maybe i'm gonna hesitate maybe i don't really want to do all of this because at the end of the day i think maybe the league's going to protect this guy or maybe it's just too painful to talk about we, we don't really don't know so anyways all of that goes into this decision which ends up being a six game suspension for Deshaun Watson. And and I I don't know what the right number of games is. Like I don't know how you put a number on twenty five allegations or, you know, whatever, yeah, five yeah. allegations, even one allegation. I don't know how you decide that. It seems like impossible to have to like weigh the cost of, of a human's experience versus a penalty on a football field right oh with, without so, question so, so, so i i, I struggle no. with this mike because i think i think all of the criticisms are valid about who's making the decision about the suspension about how this process works about whether roger goodell who's you know the commissioner of the nfl should have the final say in, in punishment um i hear all of it and and like i'm truly lost for words at what what the right thing is here i think six games definitely sounds light light yeah considering some of the past uh penalties for players who have been accused of other heinous crimes yep. um and i think i'm also struck with how the cleveland browns now have to kind of admit that they like he this judge said that he did it like the yeah. judge found that he was guilty of it like that's not in in question she found that there these accusations were credible and the browns the whole time have been saying that they they think he's his name's going to be clear because he didn't do anything wrong, and then they put out this statement yesterday, Mike, that says that he's shown remorse for the heartache he's caused and all these things, and and I just I can't really I can't really explain any of it. Like it, it's just it's really just mind boggling. Well, I'll get we can get into the football side and the fan side, which is easily more concrete to me. And you make some great points. And again, a lot of this, I think we go, we have to look at precedent the NFL has set. Remember the Ray Rice case where we openly saw on film, on video, what he did, right? Punching, a, punching his, his, uh, was his wife or his girlfriend? I can't remember I think at the it was time. his girlfriend at the time. At, at yeah. the time. Remember, he got a two-game suspension. Two. And because of the outcry, public outcry, they jumped it to six games. So they were, they were moved by the public. Right. So you wonder if that's going to happen here because there is an incredible outcry saying six games, that's it. 
You know, so maybe, so we'll see if the NFL will appeal. Again, then going to Roger Goodell or his designee, and then they can they can jump it, uh, the, the suspension up. But a lot of this is based off of what they did. And you can go chapter and verse of how poorly, you mentioned some of it, how poorly they have handled some of these situations with the, the, the men and what they've done with women, whether it's sexual assault or assault or whatever. They've done it, admittedly, they've admitted doing a bad job and trying to bring in this person and that person to help them. But what they've done in the past continues to haunt them now, unless they're going to change policy. And they can't, you know, uh, and I have no idea if they'll do that. But but that's what, what Sue Robinson was doing is basing it off of what they've done and and the, the information that she was given. Remember, everybody, she was not allowed to go out and do her own investigation. She had to use the evidence the NFL had supplied her and, and the people they talked to and the evidence that they had and still found Deshaun Watson guilty. So it, I'm with you, Jess. It, it is a bit of a mess uh, as to how it was how it's all going down, but now we just have to wait and see. So they either the NFL either appeals or... They say, listen, we started this new process. We have an independent person. We may not agree with the amount of games she gave, but this is the new way we've agreed with the NFLPA to do business, so we're going to accept it. I don't know which way they're going to go. If it's by public outcry, which seemed to affect them in the Ray Rice case, I would expect they would appeal it and and draw a bigger suspension. Time will tell. Yeah, certainly. So... Well, I guess we'll see what happens. We'll yeah. know by next week if there is an appeal or not. But uh, you know, there... as far as the other parts of it, let, let let me jump on it real quick. From the so sure. there's there's a football part, and let me just say, anybody who is shocked by the Browns and what they've di- done, you need to just go back a few years. Okay, I mean, my God, what could they do? They signed Kareem Hunt to a deal knowing he was suspended for six, eight games for kicking a woman who was on the ground. So why would this surprise anybody that, that, that they signed Deshaun Watson, who is an, a, just on, on the field, we're talking a great player and give him such a friendly deal that he's losing only a little over $300,000. Mm-hmm. Remember that's all on the Browns. That's not on Deshaun Watson. That's on the Browns. They're the ones who did that, but they have a track record that just goes a couple of years ago. So save me your outrage for the, anybody for the Browns because they've done this before with somebody on, on video kicking a woman who they signed knowing he was suspended for eight games. So, but, but on the field, so before we get to the fans, Jess, you look at the first six games. Now we're talking exclusively football. We're still talk sports here and football. They play Carolina, the Jets, Pittsburgh with a new quarterback, Atlanta with a new quarterback, then the Chargers and the Patriots. They could go four and two here. They could go three and three or four and two. They have a really good team. Jacoby Brissett's going to be the quarterback. He's a guy that doesn't turn the ball over. They're a running team with, oh, by the way, one of the running backs being Kareem Hunt, um, with receivers, with a tight end, and excellent defense. So from that side of it, a, a backup is asked to keep a team's head above water till the starter comes back. I think jo- Jacoby Brissett can do that. And real quickly, for those that don't know how it works, Deshaun Watson can remain in the, car- in the Browns camp. He can play in the preseason games if they want to play him. Once the season starts, he can't be at the facility, but only for half the suspension. 
after week three of that suspension, he can now practice at the facility. So he can be back involved in everything except for games four, five, and six. So he can get back in, get his feet wet going before game seven, which he could play if the, if the suspension stays the same of six games when they're at Baltimore. Because after New England, the sixth game that he misses, they play their two, two other um, uh, division games in Baltimore and Cincy. They got real fortunate. Carolina, New York, Atlanta, and the one division game they have is Pittsburgh, which if you try and pick which of the three teams you want to play without your starting quarterback, it's Pittsburgh. You don't want to play Cincy or Baltimore. They have excellent quarterbacks, excellent offenses. So they, they kind of, from a football standpoint, I think they can come out of this thing three or three or four or two after six games. Mm, right, which is why I think like a lot of fans, uh, football fans who who disagree with the, the judgment are – are a little bit like, well, the team's not really going to be penalized in any right. significant way right. on the field. Um, the player certainly isn't being financially penalized. He wasn't even fined for it. So, like, really, it it feels like a slap up on the wrist to a lot of people. But I hear you about the Kareem Hunt thing. I think, like, I'm not saying that this is correct, but I think that for some reason, I mean, mainly because – he is like the face of the franchise now. Yeah, yeah. Fans do seem to care a lot more about the quarterback than they do about a, a player who might be one You're of right. a couple people who play that mm-hmm. position. I'm not giving them an excuse for it. Obviously, I like there's there's a whole lot you can you can say about why it's the wrong thing to do. But I do think that like this this the star status of Deshaun Watson and the position he plays and his history. Um, as a as a player and as a, a national championship in college, like all of this contributes to why there is so much outrage about this. Whereas, like when Kareem Hunt was signed, we we didn't like it didn't lead you know New York Times headlines and right. and I I can see why like there's there's shades of of gray to it in in that respect. Like some players just get more attention and they are bigger celebrities and they play a more visible position. So so let let me take everybody now inside the locker room because I've heard on other shows, other former players, only a couple saying, well, he's going to have to answer to me in the locker room. I'm going to go and have a man-to-man talk with him. Give me a break. Listen, he's been with the Browns now for a while. If any of those discussions were to happen, they already took place. And quite honestly, I doubt many, if any, happened. You know what players are worried about in the NFL, Jess? They're worried about themselves. They're worried about how do I play my best how do we win out there? So I, I'm sorry for those that think that the players are going to police that locker room and they're going to hold him accountable. Not happening. It, they're going to go by what? If he's gone for six games, we'll see him when he comes back. And when he comes back, we welcome him with open arms and we hope we win all our games. And oh, by the way, while he's in camp with us practicing now, he's our teammate and that's how we're going to treat him. That's kind of how it works. Not to say that there isn't that outlier or two of a guy that wants to have that discussion with him but for the most part man guys are concerned about themselves and their career and then how it can lead to hopefully helping that team win so don't look for the the locker room justice going on and that leads me to the fact I, I saw people tweeting oh my god how are you showing pictures of Deshaun Watson signing autographs for kids and people cheering for Deshaun Watson google NFL rap sheet okay you want to see some some horrible things guys have done to women out there and are still playing in the league and are being cheered by their fan base. Deshaun Watson is not the first 
or unfortunately the last where that's going to happen. I'm not saying it's right. Everybody right. can decide how well, they want to do it. But for the most part, yes, you see it. Fans, you know, fans for the most are watching their team and they want their team to win. A lot of them say, don't care what the guy did. And you could disagree with that. And that's fine. I'm just telling you what fans think. You, you, you think any Cleveland Browns game won't be sold out this year? I mean, they're right. going to be. No, and I'm sure he'll, he'll probably get a standing ovation when he yes. returns. I, but I think that that is the existential question, which is like, how do we get people to care about this? And if we don't, if we don't hold people accountable for their actions or institutions accountable for the way that they react to situations like this, it, it's hard, I guess, maybe not hard, but I, I can see why fans don't have a sort of a visceral reaction to it or, or, or decide not to cheer for their team. I, I mean, we could, I honestly, we could talk about this aspect of yeah. it for, for hours. Um, in a lot of ways, like sports fandom is, is part of your identity and maybe, you know, it's something you do with your family. Like there's, there's a lot, a lot we can unpack yeah, there, but yeah. I do think there is there, that does make me think like, why, why is that? Okay. Like why, why are we okay with it? Why are, yeah. why, what, like, how do we get people to, to care about this? I don't know. I mean, maybe that's not the right question to ask right now, but it is. Because they haven't in the past, right? I mean, right. one I of mean... the th- this league, and, and we're talking about the NFL, the NFL, $15 billion a year business that is basically dent proof, right? I mean, yeah. what what has affected them in a in a unbelievably negative way, especially from the money side? Right. I mean, well, I think I think the answer for for maybe just for you and me, Mike, and for fellow media people is like not to not to normalize it. Like we don't have to pretend like it didn't happen. I guess that's right. one one step for it. But again, I we've been talking about this for a while. Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about it more as the season goes on. So maybe we we should move on to the other big NFL yeah. news, which is also like crazy and scandalous uh, in a different regard, which is that. Uh, the NFL has suspended the Miami Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, until October. He has been fined $1.5 million, and they have given up a first and third round draft pick in 2023 and 2024 for illegal tampering. Yeah, so the tampering was with Tom Brady when he was with the Patriots his last year there and a year with the Buccaneers of tampering with Tom, basically trying to get him to become the Dolphins quarterback and tampering with Sean Payton. Uh, to try and get him become the Dolphins head coach. So, listen, tampering goes on all the time. Let me also just say this. They got caught. Much like the <laughs> the bounty for Greg Williams, you know, the D coordinator, he got caught, okay? That goes on. And I'm sure it probably still goes on. Maybe not as much as back in the day a bit, uh, but he got caught. So that's what happens here. He got caught, and he got hammered, and he should get hammered now. We talked about it before we started taping this, Jess. A mill and a half to Stephen Ross is, you know, is right. lunch, you know, compared That's in, to us, Yeah, right? it's in the couch cushions, yeah. Yeah, so losing a first-rounder and a third-rounder, certainly that, that's equity and that's an asset uh, that they lose. The other thing that was involved in this, and this, to me, this came up um, when, uh, you know, from the coaching standpoint, when it was talked about that Stephen Ross said, hey, losing, we're better off losing for a better draft position than winning and the talk of paying his former coach $100,000 per loss. Well, that basically, Jess, you can explain it better than I. That was that was more looked at as we were joking or not serious about it kind of bullshit, right? Yeah, yeah. so so the report, or the, I guess like the, the memo that came out from the NFL about this Dolphins 
penalty was part of it was about the tanking accusation that was in Brian Flores's lawsuit after he was fired by the Dolphins and claimed that um, the NFL had inequitable hiring processes, um, basically that they're doing sham interviews, things like that. Uh, and, and that's why there's not a lot of black head coaches. So part of this was that he was you know, hired and the expectation was that he would purposely lose games. And it was a, it was a bombshell at the time, Mike, um, because the allegation was that he would get paid or a hundred thousand dollars to lose a game, something like that. Um, so yeah, the NFL wrote in this memo that they, there's a discrepancy about the account of this conversation happening. Basically maybe they, there was people in the dolphins, organization that had joked about it but no one ever was seriously considering tanking um and that you know the hundred thousand dollar claim quote as which there are differing recollections about the wording timing and context uh was not intended to be taken seriously and basically no tanking happened nothing to see here moving on you guys did tamper though uh, as far back as 2019, they were talking to Tom Brady, I guess, while he was still on the Patriots, um, offering him, you know, potential ownership stakes, things like that. So yeah, that's, I guess the NFL's accounting of it. Maybe there will be more that will come out of the lawsuit. I don't know, but that's kind of, kind of seems like they swung their themselves out of the, we'll pay for you to lose kind of argument, right? They kind of, they kind of talked about it, but said, ah, oh, we don't think they were serious. Because in all honesty, Jess, and I said this when Brian Flores first brought it up, if that's proven, if that was proven, Stephen Ross should lose the team. They seem to have found a way to kind of work around that to say, yeah, maybe he was joking about it or wasn't serious. I, I, I don't know about that one. I think, I think they gave him a break there. In all honesty, I think they gave him a break by not going more into that because the tampering, like I said, tampering happens. They got caught the million and a half. I don't care. I don't care if a billionaire loses a million and a half, but the, but the, (laughs) so it's always like, do you punish the owner for doing it? Which means nothing. So we can't go to owner's meeting. Or does he miss out on the team photograph? Right. He could just go on vacation. So what? Although I do love that photograph. I love when I know I do too. I do too. But when you run something, the punishment should affect what you run, right? So by taking the draft picks, it, yeah. it can affect them in a way uh, with what they do. So again, that that just breaking news. I think they they really kind of squirmed around the whole. Hey, we're better off if we lose because listen, we know hell. Stu Gotts talks about it all the time. I mean, as soon as the Jets hit a certain point of the season, he as a fan wants them to lose every game to get a right. high draft pick. It's right. one thing for a fan to do it. It's another thing for for an owner to tell a coach, "I'll pay you a hundred grand per loss, so right. we can get a better draft pick." There, there was a funny line in there, which was like, "the The Dolphins did try to win every game," and I'm like, "Well, I don't know if you watched the Dolphins yeah, in 2019, they? but I yeah. don't know if you can say that with a straight face." But, yeah. anyways, before we log off, because we're going a little long, uh, in terms of NFL ownership news, Lewis Hamilton, Mike, combining our interest in F1 and NFL, is now uh, going to be an owner of a NFL team with uh, the Denver Broncos. So thought that was interesting. Oh, it is. Especially because I, you know, I know you are, you have a, you have a podcast now about a formula one. We just saw uh, him. He was on the podium, I think for the, made the podium for the fifth consecutive race. I believe yeah, second, second, he was second. For Stappen was first. He was, he was second. His teammate, uh, George Russell was third, but yeah. So, uh, so it, it made me ask the, the question of, 
So when you get an owner like that, because remember who also has ownership now is Condoleezza Rice. Mm -hmm. So will they have a, actually have a function or is it kind of like Magic Johnson having partial ownership of the Dodgers, kind of a cool thing, you know, to have the celebrity as a part owner, but right. maybe no real input in what's going on. I don't know, but I'm just wondering when you see these, these, you know, popular names. Yeah, I don't really know what, what any of this entails. I know, I know that like, you know, rich people like to diversify their portfolios yeah. with different investments. <laughs> the NFL seems like a pretty good investment because like you said earlier, despite all of these things we've talked about today, it's pretty, pretty much doing well. Pe people talking about the NFL is, oh. is good for business. Um, so yeah, I don't really know if he'll have any say in anything, but- But I, he's a cool dude to have around for sure. Right, right. And maybe he'll be at, uh, at Broncos games. Now. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. I, I did see a picture of his dog wearing a Broncos uh, little like scarf. So. Yeah. Things that's a neat thing. I like good, him. Good PR already. Yeah. For well, that's exactly right. <laughs> He's a good guy. I think you'll get good PR from it. So I, I do think there is, is something to that. And whatever money he put on, I don't know. But I think the extension he signed last year with Mercedes was like for 70 mil a year or something like that. So he's certainly, certainly not hurting on the, uh, the, the money side. Yeah, you could pay for a lot of losses with that. Yeah, you can. Oh, well played. <laughs> well played. All right, Jess, we have talked so much off the field, off the court, off the ice, off the pitch, off everything. Let's let's go on. Let's actually talk about actual play that's happening in our world of sports today. We're so excited to have Lindsay D'Arcangelo on to talk to us about basketball, get some hoops talk here in August. Uh, she's a writer for The Athletic and for Just Women Sports, and she's also the co-author of the book Hail Mary, The Rise and Fall of the NWFL, which is a fantastic book. Actually, a book that I have read, which I can probably count on one hand the number of books I've read here. Uh, so, Lindsay, give us give us the quick, like, 30-second pitch on Hail Mary. It's a great book. We did a little um, piece on it on my other show with Kate Fagan, Off the Looking Glass. So tell us about what the book's about. Yeah, I mean, real quick, it's kind of like a league of their own, but with football. It's about the National Women's Football League that existed in the 1970s. Um, it lasted from 1974 to 1988. Nobody really knows that that it existed at all. So we were just happy to talk to these women and share their stories and, and get the word out because they deserve to be to be recognized. Yeah, wow, that that that, that is a, it. Really is because uh, again, you're right. Nobody that was right during my high school and college and half of my NFL career. So while I was engulfed in that, I I didn't know about it either. So I'm sure it's going to open a lot of people's eyes. I would imagine. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, the feedback we've gotten from pretty much everyone is just that you know, oh my God, this is amazing. I didn't even know this was a thing. Um, which is, you know, it just speaks to the to the lack of recognition that they've received, and I, th I think now just with the rise and and attention being paid on women's sports, it, it's it's the perfect time for their story to be told. Yeah, Mike, and it actually uh, a lot of this story takes place in your neck of the woods where you grew up in uh, Northwest or Northeast Ohio, yep. I should say. So you you would enjoy it, although I know you're not. I don't know you, Mike. Are you an avid reader? Do you read a lot? Uh, no. Uh, I am not. Uh, I, I, I was going to assume that you didn't, but I thought that would be too mean. I was trying to, to trying to think of a funny answer because I like to be self-deprecating in a funny way. And uh, no, I have no, I am not a, I am like my, I have three kids and, and one of them, my son Jake is like me. We are not readers and 
I really have no way around it. Now, he just had a baby uh, son, so I'd imagine I'll start reading some Dr. Seuss children's books mm. or something like well, that. Because Also because you can anyways. read and there's pictures, which helps. Right. Right. Well, again, highly recommend Hail Mary. So we had Lindsay on to actually talk to us about the W season so far. We're kind of heading into playoff season here. There's a couple of playoff spots left. So, Lindsay, who do you who do you think we're going to see make the final playoff spots in the WNBA playoff picture? And, and who should we be watching right now to see who gets in? Well, I mean, so right now, the top five teams that are already in you got the chicago sky las vegas aces connecticut sun seattle storm washington mystics and it's kind of been like that all season they've been like they've been the top five five teams all season and then when you get into the rest of the standings like uh six through 11 it's like it's gonna be like a dog fight to to the finish line like it's gonna be crazy because you have you have six teams vying for three more spots um I think the Minnesota Lynx could actually make a jump. They're the 10th seed right now. They need to bump up to the eighth, but and they just beat the Sparks the other night. Um, Phoenix is interesting. You know, everything that happened with Tina Charles and leaving the team and what's going on with them, uh, just them playing small ball. Um, but I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's hard because you really don't know what's going to happen. They're all like within a game of each other. So it's going to be like a photo finish at the end to see who gets those last three spots. You look at from Dallas to Minnesota, the four teams, there's only two games separating those four. So certainly, mm-hmm. so I guess to get in and, and you get into the playoffs, to, obviously you can't win it unless you're in it. You just want to get mm-hmm. to the dance. But after Chicago and Las Vegas, is it those two and then there's a, a big fall or are we close after those two? I mean, those two are essentially fighting for the number one, number two spot. Right. Uh, it's going to come down to either of them. But um, then right behind on their heels is the Sun and then the Storm and then the Mystics. So there's a big drop off between those top five seeds. And then you go down to the Dallas Wings where at the sixth seed, they only have 13 wins. And then it's, it's 13 wins, 12 wins, down to 11 wins for New York. I mean, it's so, it's so tight. It's just, it's almost like you have two levels happening right now in, in the W and, and like those, t- those top tier teams. And then the bottom tier, um, not saying that the bottom tier, like a team or two can't come up and like have a run in the playoffs, but there's just really a significant uh, gap between them. So you mentioned uh, the Las Vegas aces being one of those top teams. They played in the commissioner's cup last week against the Chicago sky. And I also saw uh, a couple days ago, there was a behind-the-back inbound pass that Chelsea Gray made to uh, one of Mike and I's favorite players, Jackie Young, because obviously we are big Notre Dame fans yep. on the podcast. So can you tell us a little bit about the Aces this season and and specifically how impressive Jackie Young has been for the team? Yeah, I've got Jackie Young pegged for my most improved player of the year. I mean, what she's done the past three seasons and how she's grown her game to the level it is now, adding that 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 mid-range jumper that just she hits all the time not only can she drive to the hoop she can hit that mid-range she added the three-point shot this season um she's just she's grown in so much confidence in her ability and she's just one of the major contributors to that team um so yeah definitely have a lot of love for jackie young but yeah i mean the aces they're just they're so good when they're on when they're rolling they're just so good and they're just so fast-paced and up-tempo and just thrive off of each other. You can tell that they get along off the court just as well as they do on it. 
And, and when they're playing well, they're just really hard to stop. I mean, you saw that in the Commissioner's Cup. They jumped out in front of the sky, and the sky's a really good team. And they just they just really never never lost a step. Um, yeah, they're um, I don't know. I could see them. I could see them or the sky winning it all this season. So, so Lindsay, along those lines, you mentioned the Commissioner's Cup two years in a row now. We, we've seen mm-hmm. it with the WNBA, an in-season tournament. You know, the NBA has been talking about that. The WNBA has been doing it. How successful has it been in your eyes? And do you think the NBA will follow suit with this? I mean, I think there's still a lot of lessons to be learned and what, what they can, what the WNBA can do better. It needs to be better promotion and marketing. I mean, basically they just tag certain games throughout the season, throughout the regular season as commissioner cup games. And then those count towards your commissioner cup standings, but some fans still to this day, don't even know what that means or what right. that's about. Um, there's been suggestions of maybe having a pause during the middle of the season and just do like a, a, a small in-season tournament for it, maybe just over a weekend, which isn't a bad idea. Put some more eyes on it. Um, I just think they need to get the word out better. Um, the game itself was a great game, but it was on NBA TV. Uh, you know, a lot of people weren't able to see it and and, and find it or whatever and, and watch it. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's still relatively young. I think it's a great idea. It's, it gives the players more incentive, gives more money in their pockets for the winners. Um, but, yeah, definitely, definitely some things that could be done differently. Uh, piggybacking off your your comment about uh, more more promotion, that wasn't a thing that I think a lot of N- uh, WNBA fans felt after All Star Week, and I know that was now over. Well, maybe a little less than a month ago. Um, were you at All Star Weekend in Chicago, and do you have any takeaways from how that experience was this year? I was not at All Star um, this weekend. We had <laughs> we had a family vacation plan, which was you know conflict, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that's the one, the one knock on the, on the, not the one knock, but the W has always kind of lagged behind when it's come to promote better promotion and marketing. And it just, you know, they're, they're getting better. They're getting better every season, but there needs to be more, um, all-star weekends, a good example of that. There are just, it's the little things, right. Where the skills competition, and I understand why, I mean, there were COVID concerns and, and venue concerns about opening it up to the public, but also, you know, the, for the all-star game, wouldn't there be COVID concerns for that? And still all those people were, were allowed in to watch it and everything. Why not open it up for fans to take part? Why not do more things for the fans who are there too, just to drum up more excitement um, for all-star weekend. Um, just, it's just these little things over and over again that they, they just have to, you know, get better at year over year if they want to continue to grow the league. Well, one of the other things I saw certainly as, as the season was starting was the number of first rounders that were being cut, uh, which was then the talk of should the WNBA expand because there's that talent there and how can these talented players be cut? We know roster size and people keeping even smaller rosters. Uh, I, I, to me, I hadn't known a lot about that and that was a bit of a revelation to me of how that was working. So is there the possibility of expansion in WNBA's future? Yes, there is talk of expansion and you know, it's, it's one of those things and I hate to use the old cliche of putting the cart before the horse, but that's, the truth. I mean, they're getting this influx of money and investment, but then you have to spend that wisely. And you don't want to expand before you, 
you know, it's, you know, you believe that it can be financially viable and in the league's best interest. Um, there's always, it's always been the WNBA is the toughest pro league to make because there's, there's only 144 roster spots and it's even more limited than that when you get down to salary cap and everything like that. But um, there has been discussion. Toronto has always been sort of a destination uh, to start a, a team. I mean, everything's kind of already in place there. You already have a built-in fan base for basketball. Um, it would add an international element. But I know the W is always also looking at smaller markets with, with a lot of room for growth. Um, Portland, Nashville, Oakland. But um, also Philadelphia and San Francisco have been talked about, even though that's not necessarily a smaller market just cities that you know might thrive having a, a WNBA team I wish Buffalo was on the list truthfully but <laughs> they're not um that's, that's my own personal there you go uh-huh. yeah <laughs> but yes those are some of the places that have been discussed most recently so overall Lindsay I, I'm just wondering in the, in the grand scheme of things and I think I know where the direction you may go at least partially what is what is still the obstacles in front of the WNBA for for a more more what you just talked about more teams more notoriety more publicity what what's the direction that needs to be go, going in so I get asked this a lot and uh, a lot of the time I respond the same way and I think promotion and marketing are, are huge they're the biggest things you know we need to get the players out more in front um, we need to have more endorsement deals for them. The W needs to do a better job um, promoting them and, and just promoting the league in general in different and creative ways, having more uh, merchandise available and, and easy to, easier to find would be better as well. Um, we already talked about the All-Star game. One of my biggest gripes is games. Um, every year, more games are put on television. And I'm not just talking about, like I'm talking about channel they need to be on channels that are easily accessible too. And, you know, I love the social media deals and Amazon prime and all that, but not everybody has that. And what they've, what the numbers have shown is when those games are on television and people can actually watch them and just stumble across them, the numbers are through the roof. So for me, it's just like, it, I don't, it just makes sense. Like put more games on television where people can find them. Um, but also, you know, media has a role in that too. Um, staffs, WNBA staffs are very slim and not supported, um, either financially they're not invested in or not given the support they need just from, you know, an excitement and enthusiasm and like go out and do this kind of standpoint. Um, media staffs for WNBA coverage need to improve as well. Um, and just, and just coverage overall, it's still, it's still not where it should be. It's a lot better than it used to be, but um, it's uh, it's not where it needs to be just to keep keep growing the WNBA and women's sports in general. Yeah, and it, it parallels a lot with what you write about in your book, Hail Mary, about the NWFL, uh, which now every time I talk about the NWSL, I always like transpose like F and S because it's it, my my small brain can't keep them straight. Um, and also like we call football soccer in certain parts yeah. of the world. So I'm just constantly <laughs> saying the wrong one. But anyways, yes, the the investment and the marketing, I think, are two 
key things. But I wanted to go back to what you said about Jackie Young, which was that you pegged her as your most improved player this season. I want to know who your MVP is this season. Is it Candace Parker? Is it Asia Wilson? Like who, who is your MVP? Yeah, it's been a while since we've seen a guard win the MVP um, award. I don't know why that that is considering, you know, it's just, it's just, just as much as an important position and Kelsey Plum would be, would be right up there in that conversation. But you also mentioned Candace Parker, who is, who is just having an, one of her best seasons ever at the age she is, the fact that she's even considering retiring after this season, it's like, what? Um, Brianna Stewart also having a great season, but for me, it, it comes back to Asia Wilson um, I think it's going to come down to Asia Wilson and, and Brianna Stewart, but um, Wilson to me is just doing it on both ends of the court. Like her defense this season has been incredible. She's really like up that um, side of her game. And, you know, what she does on offense is, is always been there without Liz Cambage on, on the aces this season, it's opened up things more for her on the offensive end, but on the defensive end, she's just really, really shown what she can do and how she's grown in that area. So I think just having both, both of those um, kind of puts her as a front runner. So you mentioned mentioned Liz Cambage. So she's no longer on the Sparks this season. Uh, there was kind of like a potentially acrimonious separation there, but I, I don't know if we necessarily know what, what happened. Can you kind of shed some light on that and, and tell us if you think we're going to see her on another WNBA roster anytime soon? I think Liz is done. I think Liz is done with the WNBA, and I, I think – the WNBA is done with Liz. Um, there's been a lot that has happened over the years and throughout her career and um, just some contentious things um, between teammates and opposing teams and coaches and things that necessarily haven't always been reported on and put out there. Um, we've sort of seen, you know, this kind of drama follow her wherever she goes. And at some point you have to think, well, is it the team she's on or is it the staff or whatever is it you know if it follows her wherever she goes maybe there's more to it than that um i think she's an incredibly talented player and she has all the intangible so it's almost kind of like she can't get out of her own way kind of thing um but i also think she's her heart's not in it and i don't i think when she joined la it wasn't really in it this season and and we sort of saw that play out and uh, I, I think she might be done with basketball at least on, from on the WNBA side of things altogether. Well, listen, if if <laughs> in a physical game uh, sport, if your heart's not in it, it's very very difficult to go out and perform. There's a uh, no, no no doubt about that. Lindsay, we we really appreciate appreciate your time uh, and looking at the WNBA as we approach uh, the playoffs. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I appreciate it. One quick correction: I mentioned that the Commissioner's Cup was on NBA TV. It was on Amazon Prime, which I meant mm. um, not everybody has, but still same kind of issue, but. Just want to throw that in there. Good, good correction. Thank you. No You're a true journalist. <laughs> Thank it you is. so much. Yeah, gotta thanks. have it straight. Yeah. You got to. Got to. Thanks, Lindsay. All right. Well, this has been a, a long episode of Golik and Smetty. So before we sign off, Mike, one thing that did happen that we need to mention, even though I think it was pretty much usurped by a lot of other things that have happened in the sports world this week, but it is a pretty big deal. Tell us about the Juan Soto trade. Yeah, quietly, the Juan Soto trade on on the actual deadline, uh, trade deadline for Major League Baseball. Remember Juan Soto, for those that don't, I don't know how you couldn't, turned down a (laughs) 15-year, $440 million offer from the Washington Nationals 
To which uh, the Nationals were so put off by that, they didn't fly Juan Soto to the All-Star game. He had to fly commercial mm, instead of flying forbid. in the pri- private plane to where he won the home run derby. Imagine um, sitting next to Juan Soto on your, I, your flight. Dude, well, seriously, what's going on? Well, I did reject the $440 million. Um, So we knew he was going to get traded. It finally happened. I love that the, the Padres our players now, what's going on. I mean, you look at the young talent there, Fernando Tatis Jr. that they have. I think, you know, he's as young as as, as Juan Soto. Uh, Manny Machado there uh, as well. They have a nice young team right now. They're second uh, they're to Atlanta in the wild card. So they got a nice run, hopefully going to, uh, into the playoffs. Uh, I think they're 12 behind the Dodgers for the division, so I don't think that's going to be happening. So the deal was for you got four young players, and as Eric Hosmer, a pitcher for the Padres, he actually was involved in this trade to go to the Nationals, but he has a no trade clause to which he invoked. Probably smart because you know he can go to the uh, you know with the Padres and looking for the postseason, so he is staying. And people have uh, players have all different reasons for doing something like that. So well, I mean, a, a good there. reason is that San Diego's really nice. Uh, those two words alone. You know, can do it. San Diego, wait, why would I choose right. to leave this, right? So right. so he's not going. Uh, four prospects in return. Juan Soto going to be with the Padres. We know he'll sign uh, a monster deal at some point. But, boy, here's what – and he'll sign a long-term deal. And real quick, Jess, I know we've been going long today. But what I like is we're seeing more and more of these 10-, 12-year deals. But they remember, they used to go to the 30-year-old. So you knew the last five years, six years, or four years of those deal were garbage. Now they're going to 23- and 25-year-olds to where you could actually get something out of them for the entirety of their, their contract. So I think that's a positive in the league as a whole and certainly a positive here for the Padres and what they're building. Well, thank you for that update on baseball. We will be back with more baseball during the World Series. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but seriously, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.